1: This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest.
2: Good morning, and welcome to Next Steps for Seniors. I'm your host, Wendy Jones. And owner and operator, as you all know, of Next Steps for Seniors, the business, as well as the foundation. And each and every week, this program is really designed to talk about the things that really nobody wants to talk about, to be quite honest. And it's because we all age. Yes, it happens to everyone. And as we age, we need to embrace life instead of fear it. That's my motto. And we all have to plan like we're going to live to 100, because nobody wants to think about what happens as we age, and that's what we talk about, and that's what we think about. So that's why we're here today. And my guest in the studio this morning is Mr. Thomas Delpup. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. We are blessed to have him, and he is very knowledgeable about planning financially he is both an estate uh, attorney as well as a financial planner. So he's got the best of both worlds all packaged into one person. So we're grateful for you today, Tom.
1: It's good to be here, Wendy. Thank you, So thankful.
2: Me. So your, tell us a little bit about what you do and where your office is, because you're right here locally in Rochester. I
1: am. I'm a licensed attorney and a certified financial planner. Um, my, my practice is primarily devoted to estate planning and financial planning. We do investment management work. And we also can broker insurance and annuity uh, policies as well, but primarily financial and estate planning
2: which is exactly what we need because i'll tell you listeners, and this is very important to me as i'm as I process through a lot of the phone calls that come into our office, it is very, very important to have your estate set up correctly because if you don't, you end up through probate, and a lot of things can happen in probate, and it takes forever. But, you know, we don't want to think about what happens when we pass away. But sometimes we need to if we want to be prepared and leave things properly, right, for our children. Correct. But one of the topics we're going to talk about today, and we might get into some of that estate law on the end, sure, is uh, the Secure Act. So the financial component of the Secure Act and how it affects people because as they're planning, to save money for retirement because that's what we all want to do is retire. Correct. And we want to live forever, but at least we want to retire. Correct. <laughs> and enjoy our lives. So talk to us, Tom, a little bit about the Secure Act.
1: Sure. Secure Act stands for Secure is Setting uh, Every Community Up for Retirement Act. It was passed by Congress in at the end of 2019, went into effect in 2020. And it, was, it represented probably the biggest change in retirement planning um, for individuals since the advent of the Roth IRA. It had two primary effects. Number one, it increased the uh, beginning date for retirement plan distributions where an account owner is required to start taking distributions from age 78 and a half to age 72.
2: Which was a benefit, right, I'm assuming?
1: A, a, a large benefit, yes. Okay. Um, people are living longer. People are working longer. Um, delaying those re- required distributions a little bit longer can be of help because they can work a little bit longer, save a little bit longer, and it pushes out that Extends length Extends it at the end, Exactly. Right. The second component of the SECURE Act, and there, understand that there were many other th- things that make up the SECURE Act, but the second largest change was the um, elimination of uh, life expectancy distribution rules, the stretch IRA, for most non-spouse beneficiaries of retirement accounts. So this this affects an individual who owns an IRA, a 401k, a 403b, any any retirement uh, plan that has a contribution element along with the distribution. So if you're... um, If you're an individual who has adult children and you pass away, under the old law, pre-2020, your adult children could take distributions over their remaining life expectancy. Under the SECURE Act, they only have 10 years from the year of your death. To take that money out. So
2: that is significant.
1: It's very significant. And people, it's actually a very large component of estate planning. Because when we're thinking about beneficiary designations, we're actually planning for the distribution of that asset after we die. So who's going to get it? What affects that? What effect the tax laws are going to have on them now needs to become a, a, a more important factor in their decision making in the structure and planning of their estates. So they do go hand in hand.
2: They really do. Now,
1: that was the first component, Secure Act one point one point zero. Earlier this year, Secure Act 2.0 went into effect. The major change that Secure Act 2.0 brought into law was a further pushing back of the required beginning date for distributions from IRAs and other retirement plans. And this is going to be based on year of, uh, year of birth and, and age. So now, under current law, it's 72. Beginning in 2024, it rises to 73.
2: Oh, okay. Starting in January?
1: Starting in January of, of 2024. So if you if you are turning age 72 this year in 2023, okay. in other words, if you were born in 1951 yep. through 1959, your required age to start distributions is... 73. So if you turn 72 in 2023, you don't have to take a required distribution this year. You can wait until 2024. If you were born in 1960 or after, the age has changed to 75. So you won't have to begin taking distributions until you reach age 75 in 2035.
2: Okay, so this just is the 2.0 that just came out Correct. recently a couple months ago. Correct. I have not heard anything about this. I'm so glad you're here today. This is why you're here it's, today. It's kind of flown under. I don't under, know that it's it's been marketed. I'm going to use the word marketed, but whatever, communicated.
1: The the changes in 2.0 are not as drastic as 1.0.
2: Well, it tri- it affects you if you're 73. It
1: does, and it's a massive it's a massive law. Um, Secure Act 1 point, 2.0 is a little less than 400 pages in length. And it was part of a thousand-plus-page omnibus bill that was passed by Congress. Wow. So it's there's a lot to digest for planners. Um, it's causing a lot of confusion for people who are in your audience, who are just hearing hearing about it. What do I do? Does this affect me? Um, but that's the primary uh, change from Secure Act 1.0 to Secure Act 2.0. And, that, and
2: I and I think it's I think it's substantial.
1: It is. It especially is especially
2: for that seventy something age because you're you're making a decision on what you know how long you're going to go and do you even have a choice right you have to start it at that age
1: well, you have to start it mm-hmm. okay you can delay it unfortunately Wendy m- most people at, at at least in my practice that I see don't have the luxury of being able to delay taking money out of those IRAs and 401Ks before age 73 or before age 75. They don't have the other financial means to hold off from taking those distributions. So they have to take that money out anyway. So for most people, it's probably not going to have any effect because if they retire at 65, 67, whatever the case may be, they're probably going to have to start taking distributions from those retirement accounts before their required beginning age. Right. It's probably going to you're be a right. it's probably going to be a bigger change on paper than it is in in fact.
2: Wow, it's just it's such a it, you bring out so many interesting points because like you said people are seem to be working longer. Mm-hmm. And depending on the industry and what you're in, but if you if you stopped at seventy like sixty seven and now you've got to carry yourself all the way till you can start taking out, I, great point. I mean, what do you do for those five years? Hopefully right. you have enough saved up, but like you mentioned, not many people do. Right, and they're waiting for that.
1: Now for people who for people of um, you know of greater wealth have have. Those abilities to to delay taking those required distributions, it opens up some planning opportunities for them. Uh, your your listeners may be familiar with the term uh, Roth conversion, taking money from an IRA or a four hundred one k and rolling it into uh, a Roth IRA. That gives some um, some savers more opportunity to to make those Roth conversions before they need to start taking required distributions. And there's
2: a huge tax benefit to that, correct?
1: There is. There can be a tax benefit on the back end. When you take money out of an IRA to convert it into a Roth, you're going to be paying income tax on the money you take out of that IRA at the time you do the conversion. But once the money is placed into the Roth IRA, it grows tax-free. It doesn't have to be taken out at any time during your lifetime. And if you do take it out, it's taken out income tax free. But the other benefit is to the beneficiaries. A beneficiary of a traditional IRA is going to be subject to income tax when they are forced to start taking that money out after the death of the owner. With a beneficiary of a Roth IRA, they do not they are not subject to income tax when the money comes out of the Roth IRA as a beneficiary.
2: This is very good to know, listeners. This is information that is going to help you in the long run. And isn't there a limit to how much you can put into the Roth also?
1: There is. There are limits uh, that apply to traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs. Um, Under current law, it's $6,500 a year. There's an additional $1,000 that you can contribute to a Roth if you're over age 50. But there are, there are income tests. That apply to uh, Roth IRAs. If you make more money than a certain limit under the tax code, you're going to be similar, similarly limited as to how much you can contribute into a Roth IRA, which can make the Roth which can make Roth contributions attractive if you're if you're over those income limits. You can put the money We're into that.
2: This is good. This is good. We're going to talk about this in our next segment. Stay okay. tuned. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to the Next Steps for Seniors program. We're here with Tom Delpup, and what a knowledge of information. I cut him off in the last segment, so I'm going to let him kind of re-communicate what the information is about this Roth, because this is good information, and there's some tax advantages to it.
1: Wendy, what I was, what I was saying before the break... Um, there are income limits that apply to Roth, Roth IRA contributions. If you make too much money, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. So what a lot of people will do who are over those income limits is they'll make contributions to a traditional IRA. And then what they'll do is what they call a backdoor Roth IRA, um, where they take the money out of the traditional Roth IRA and convert, uh, traditional IRA and convert it to the Roth IRA. There's no income limit to do a Roth conversion.
2: Conversion. That's so the key they'll word. do,
1: yeah. So they'll do these backdoor Roth IRA conversions by putting the money into a, tri- to a traditional, mm-hmm. and then convert it into the Roth.
2: And how often are you allowed to do that?
1: Uh, there's no limit. You, okay. You can. <laughs> Just asking. Yeah. You know. There's no limit. Uh, the only there are some formulas that apply under the Internal Revenue Code um, as to how much you can. You're Dollar able amount. to do that? Yeah. Okay. Um, but generally speaking, there's no limit on the number of times you can do that. You can do- well, it sounds
2: w- like that's a huge advantage.
1: It can be, yes. For, for individuals who are in that right um, income zone, yes, it can be a significant
0: advantage. Correct.
2: Interesting. So is there any other changes or enhancements that you know about for the 2.0- if not, we should cover the 1.0 and make sure everybody's aware of it. Just because this is all within the last year and a half.
1: There are there are several smaller changes that it will have less of an impact uh, in abroad in 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 the in scope.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: for instance, uh, there are new provisions that allow victims of domestic abuse to take um, distributions from retirement accounts um, within a year of. Experiencing that domestic abuse without subject without being subject to an early distribution penalty of ten percent, it's still a taxable distribution. But if they need money for shelter or for medical bills and things like that, they can take the money out of their retirement accounts, use it for those purposes, and they have the ability to um, uh, put the money back into their retirement account within three years of the distribution.
2: Interesting. Um,
1: another change is that. Um, We hear about 529 accounts, college savings accounts. A lot. Secure 2.0 says that if a beneficiary has money left over in a 529 account uh, that they don't need for school, they can contribute it to a Roth IRA, income tax and penalty free. Okay. Up to $35,000 total. The uh, 529 account has to be uh, in place for at least 15 years. And it's subject to the annual contribution limits of $6,500. But for a young college graduate who's just getting started in, in work life, who has a job, mm-hmm. if there's $20,000 left in a 529 account, they can take that money out, put it into a Roth IRA. Now it's in a tax-free earnings environment. That money could grow you know, over forty, fifty years of work life to be a nice retirement nest egg for them. So
2: this is so interesting because I'm surrounded by a, a lot of parents right now sure. that have college age students, sure. and I did not know this.
1: Yes, it's again, it's it's something that that it's only about three months old now. It's getting out there in the financial press slowly, slowly but surely. But surely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's not going to have the splash that. Secure 1.0 had with mm-hmm. the changes in the um, in the beneficiary distribution rules. That was monumental. It used to be that if
2: you should review that, just because I think it is a sure, big deal.
1: Sure, if you don't mind. Under old law, um, if a parent uh, say like say your parent died and left you the beneficiary of their IRA, you would have you would be able to take the distributions out of that IRA over your remaining life. Expectancy. Forever, for as long as I'm alive, for I can long keep as taking you are them alive. So that could be a really nice retirement income for you. Yeah. Um, if well, you, and what about taxes, though? You pay taxes on the money over the life,
2: out. though. But now you got to do it within ten years.
1: Correct. <laughs> under the new under the new law, if you inherit that IRA from a parent, you have ten years to take the money out. At the end of the tenth year, if your mother died in twenty. 21, Mm -hmm. you'd have 10 years from 2021 to completely liquidate that account.
2: And what happens if you don't?
1: Um, Up until now, there was a 50% penalty on the amount that wasn't taken out, assessed every year until the the distribution was corrected. That That law has changed now. It's going to be down to 25%. And then if you comply with the rules within a certain period of time, it will be even lower, 10%. But there's still a penalty. But the most important thing is where you had the ability to keep the majority of that account in a tax-advantaged environment in an IRA, you don't have that anymore. So what the Congress is requiring you to do, what, what Congress is doing is they're pushing that money out from a tax-free environment into a taxable environment. You're going to pay income tax when the money comes out of the IRA, when you put it into your regular old savings or investment account, that's going to be subject to income tax every year, capital gains tax. So what Congress needs money.
2: Well, I was just going to say, so what was the advantage to decreasing it to the 10 years? Money. More money. Tax it's all about the money. Tax
1: revenue. Yep. That's what it's all about. Um, there are some exceptions. Surviving spouses can still take distributions over their life expectancy. And that makes sense because husbands and wives, when they're working and saving for retirement, they're saving for. Them together. Both of them together. They're doing it together. Right. So there shouldn't be any change for that. Especially in a that's uh, good. Especially in a one income household. Right. Um there are exceptions for minor children. If you if you die young and you have little kids, good they point. have the ability to stretch uh distributions not over their remaining life expectancy, but longer than ten years. It's based it it ends at age uh twenty-one and then at twenty-one they have ten years. Oh, so okay. they can, so if
2: they if you pass and your child is under the age of twenty one, they may have some extensions. They, which they thank will. goodness, because who I mean, depending on how much money you have, obviously, but who would want some eighteen year old boy yeah. running around with whatever? But not
1: only many that, those babies need to be, you know, they nurtured need to be, and cared
2: for and exactly, all that money needs to be. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Another exception is for disabled and chronically ill individuals, whether they're minors or adults. If they meet statutory definitions of a disabled person, they are able to take distributions over their remaining life expectancy. If it's a child, they can take distributions based on their life expectancy. And if they're still disabled when they reach age 21, they can continue taking distributions over their remaining life expectancy as a disabled individual. So there are, you know, some advantages for um, for favored groups under the under the. Uh, Secure Act 1.0, which makes sense in the in the overall scheme of things. You want to protect those vulnerable uh, people from you know impoverishment.
2: Right. Absolutely. So interesting. So listeners, I mean, this is what I'm thinking right now. What am I going to do? Right. I mean, my whole goal right now is to help people plan for the future, and and here's why. Because what I see, just so you know, 75 percent of people need some kind of care as they age. And the longer we're living, which we are living longer, we happen to be living more unhealthy, as just Mm -hmm. as a nation in general. Mm -hmm. We can blame it on whatever we want to blame it on, but the bottom line is, we truly are not as healthy as we used to be. So that being said, you need care. And insurance, everybody thinks insurance covers everything, unfortunately is not the answer, because though Medicare is fabulous, after age 65, it only covers specific things. And one of those things that's not covered is independent living, assisted living, any type of senior community living is private pay, out of your pocket. And the average, and you know this just from your own family, the average assisted living right now is about $4,500 a month. Now, that includes three meals a day and, you know, different things, but a lot of times they're adding care costs onto that. So it's not cheap, and that's for one person.
1: Right, correct.
2: And the average Social Security right now that I know of in the state of Michigan is like 1600 1700 a month. So unless you have a big, huge stash that you've been saving, which is why we're here today, because this is exactly what my friend Tom does, is helps you prepare for the future. So I wanted you to share your number if you don't mind with our listeners sure and a little bit where you know which, what you can do to help them
1: Sure the phone number is 248-650-8280. We have a website um, two websites uh, Thomas and then BlackheathCM.com Blackheath is the investment management financial planning um, website and and business um, We do a blog. At BlackheathCM.com, where people can read about um, topics like Secure Act 1.0 IRA um, contributions, Roth conversions, uh, those types of things. Um, But um, but it's something that you know we can. When it comes to those types of issues, we can we can do something for them. There is there is an answer, and you know we don't we don't try to um, you know try to limit the possibilities for people because what works for one person may not work for another. So we try to um, expand our horizons, what might be available out there to help people save and prepare for retirement um, and try to think outside the box in order to do that.
2: Creativity is key. I definitely believe that, especially nowadays, more so than ever before. You're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. And we're going to be back with you in just a few minutes. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to our program today. We're here with Tom Delpup, and he has been extremely informative when it comes to both legal and financial. And I've got to say, listeners, what I find very interesting and I think important is the combination of the two. I love that you have both going on because they do complement each other very well, especially at this stage in life as we age, because we need to have both sides happening and happening correctly. Because I'm sure you've seen stories where someone comes to you and has something going on and you're like, oh, I can fix both of those things. But Tom, if you can kind of talk through the process, if someone were to call you and how that works and what you're looking at when it comes to, and is it like a free consultation? Just kind of fill us in on how you get started with a new client. Because I think, you know, a lot of people listening right now, as myself, is thinking, what can Tom do to help me? Sure, a lot. sure. <laughs> you can uh, do a lot. Yeah,
1: you know, I started, Wendy, I started out as a, in, in, in legal practice, uh, got out of law school, um, opened up my own uh, practice in, in Rochester a few years after I was out, um, started seeing a need for um, for people beyond just the practice of of law and estate planning, um, I, I, people needed insurance. People needed financial planning, investment management, and th- it can be a very daunting task for individuals to go out and find people that they can trust who do a good job for them at, and work in their best interest. Um, I took that, um, I took that realization, and uh, went and. Uh, um, Sat for the certificate program for certified financial planner, took the licensing exam, got the license uh, as a certified financial planner. Now, um, I have securities licenses and insurance licenses. I, I try to provide a holistic suite of services for clients being a trusted advisor in those capacities. Um, I work on a fee only basis as a fiduciary, which complements, which complements the the lawyer side of my practice as well i didn't come from the from the industry side i came out of it from the legal side which is as a fiduciary your lawyer can't have a conflict of interest with a third with a third party um so it's just a natural it's a natural environment for me clients will call uh we do consultations free of charge Let's see what the problem is. Is there something here that I can help you with? Once we sit down and meet, figure out what needs to be done. The issues that you have, the holes that you need filling, how best we can fill them, and we'll start working toward those solutions for the people. We'll design the plans, estate plans, financial plans. We'll implement. We'll we'll prepare all the documents, get all the documents signed for an estate plan. If there is financial or investment management, we'll take that on. We'll set up accounts for them. We'll manage assets and things like that, and we'll continue on. as an, in an advisory role, um, and meet periodically throughout a year uh, with clients, see how they're doing, see what changes are affecting their lives, if we need to make any adjustments in their overall plans, whether it's an estate plan, financial plan, insurance, retirement, the case may be. Um, but um, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. My practice is fairly unique in this area. It really is. As for what I do... Um, But I feel I bring a unique set of skills to the table for clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's all in an independent, objective, fee-only environment.
2: Right. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to the (laughs) estate planning, what are some of the major topics or forms that you need to have thought out ahead of time?
1: Most people think in terms of wills and trusts, Mm -hmm. and that's important um, because that's going to dictate you know, what happens to your assets after you die, but durable powers of attorney, medical powers of attorney are even more important because those are the documents that are going to protect you when you're most vulnerable, um, during an illness or an incapacity. You want to make sure your affairs are looked after, um, your medical care is being delivered in a manner that you would want, that somebody's going to be advocating for you, which is so important today, um whether it's in a hospital, a nursing facility, a memory care facility, whatever the case may be, you want to have those documents in place that clearly state who's going to be representing your interests, who's going to be speaking on your behalf. That way, if you are fortunate enough to regain the ability to manage your own affairs, manage your decision-making again, you're not left with a huge mess. Once you die, the family, the lawyers, they'll sort everything out. It's During your lifetime, that it's most important that you've got those protections in place. Absolutely.
2: And I I need to echo that because this is planning for if you live. This is the planning you need to have these documents if you live. And like I mentioned in the beginning, 75% of the people have something happen throughout their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And this is just an example. We have a woman right now that, that Tom has helped us with because she doesn't want her child to be a power of attorney. So we're in a situation where, you know, it's a little awkward, but my goodness, we need someone to step in. And then if you can talk a little bit about what a guardian and how that works to sure. be
1: good. A guardian, uh, if a person is incapable of managing their own decision making, um, a court will appoint an individual as a guardian. Basically, they step into the shoes of the incapacitated incapacitated individual with the legal authority to make decisions on behalf of that individual, represent that individual. So if it has to be something regarding placement in a facility, the guardian can handle that. The guardian can deal with medical uh, issues, can deal with insurance issues, things like that, um, to make sure that, Things are taken care of for the uh, for the vulnerable adult um, so that, again, the medical care is delivered the way they would expect it and want it to be uh, so that their affairs are taken care of. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a family member like in the case of, of your client. Um, there are public resources out there in Oakland County and Macomb County that will provide those types of services at a low cost, um, but still they're professional guardians, um, and in many cases they're vetted by the courts, um, so that they can take the place of uh, of an individual when there's nobody else who can can do that for them.
2: You want to have somebody, listeners, and I would say honestly, if I had to guess, I would say only twenty percent of the calls that come into this office, and there's hundreds every month, actually have that paperwork completed. And it's one of the first questions we ask when someone calls the office. And I would say the majority of people say, oh, you know what? I got to do that. And unfortunately, sometimes it's too late. Can you explain what happens when it's too late? Why would it ever be too late to get that paperwork? I'm thinking more of the if they have Alzheimer's and they can't make their own decisions, right?
1: Right. If they are like there's le- a test or something. If they are legally incapable of making those decisions for themselves, um, to understand what they're doing, um, to know the object of, of, of what they're doing. Basically, do you know who your family members are? Do you know um, uh, the, what we need you to do? Do you understand what you're signing? Can those you kinds sign of this? things. Can exactly. you sign your
2: name? I mean, we've had people if, couldn't even sign their correct. name. Correct.
1: If you don't have that capacity and you need to go into a, a nursing facility or assisted assistance uh, facility, they're not going to take you. Mm-hmm because a family member can't sign for you because they don't have the legal authority to do so. So what happens is the family has to go to probate court, get a guardian appointed for the individual. And the big problem with that is the individual that the court appoints is going to be somebody that the court believes in the best interest of the adult is going to be the best choice for guardian but that might not be the person that you would want to select. So doing this now while you're capable of making those decisions, you get to select the person who's going to be appointed as the guardian if need be. But the whole goal of having these documents in place is we don't have to go to probate court.
2: And probate court, if I remember correctly, not only takes a lot of time, but costs a lot of money.
1: It can, it can, but the big the big factor is time. You know, if if it's if it's 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning and you don't have a medical patient advocate, healthcare power of attorney, and you have a heart attack or you're in a car accident, who's going to be able to make medical decisions for you? Sure, if it's an emergency situation, by law, the uh, people at the hospital have to treat you. But beyond that, the hospital isn't going to listen to, to just anybody. So if you have that document, if you have that document in hand, and now with the smartphones, I recommend my clients keep copies of those on their smartphones. Great
2: idea. That is so a great idea.
1: If you're riding in the ambulance with a loved one and you've got that medical power of attorney on your phone, when you get to the when you get to the hospital, email it to the administration. They've got they've it in your got file. It on file. Yeah.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Tom, if you can share your number again, sure. I would appreciate it and your website. I really feel like this is an important topic. People need to reach out if they have questions.
1: Sure, Wendy. The number is 248 650 8280. The website, let me give you my email address. It's probably easier. Okay, let's do email. It's T.S. and Thomas, J.S. and Joseph, Delpup, my last name, at outlook.com.
2: And like I mentioned, 75% of the people need some type of care and it's private pay. So mm-hmm. we listeners, all of us, we need to plan like we're going to live to 100. And I have a lady right now, by the way, 103. So you can, you can <laughs> live past 100. But if you're retiring at 65, you're not able to draw from the IRA till 73. And then you live until you're 100. Let's talk about how much money you really need to live. Mm-hmm. So that's why you need someone like Tom. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors. Our topic today was all about the money. It was about how to save, how to plan, and how to really think about your resources. My biggest fear, and this has happened repeatedly when people call the office, is as you age, things start happening. You need more and more care. And what happens is you run out. Out of money. It is a very, 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 very common thing. And nobody wants to think about it and to be honest or talk about it. But that's why we had Tom Delp up here today. And that's why our job really is to try to communicate and articulate as much as possible to our listening audience that services are not free. Insurance does not cover care in a community. Insurance covers your your physical your PCP, okay? Your primary care physician, it covers your hospital stay, it covers your rehab stay for 20 days including physical therapy. But after that, there is no other insurance money unless unless you buy long-term care insurance. So outside of that, there is no other money that you are ever going to get. To cover your stay somewhere. Why this is so important is you have to save. We can't be spending, 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 spending because when you retire, you're on a limited budget. I mean, you all know when you get Social Security at age 65, unless you have invested and saved and you've got accounts everywhere, you've got IRAs, and then you get your Social Security at 65, then you'll be okay. But if all that other stuff isn't there and you're relying on that social security, we're in trouble because that's a limited amount of money. It doesn't change very often. It goes up a tad with inflation, but you have no other earning potential usually when you're in your 80s except for what you've already done your whole life. So that's really the ideal purpose of this program is to just start thinking about the things that you normally don't think about. (laughs) It is so critically important because we don't want to be without. Everybody deserves to live out their years with dignity and grace. Every single person deserves that opportunity. And unless you can do it financially, you may not get that opportunity. Now, Medicaid is a great program, and it is for the low-income seniors. But, if you make five thousand dollars or three thousand dollars even twenty five hundred a month you don 't qualify for Medicaid; you make too much money so believe it or not twenty five hundred a month on social security and pension and whatever else is too much money for Medicaid, and people just don 't understand that so that 's why we do this radio program. Our goal is just to educate you, give you information so that you're prepared and you're thinking about these questions. And when Tom talked about the power of attorney, truly every single person, and and even listeners, if you have an 18-year-old child that's going away to college right now, like I do, you need to get a power of attorney for them so that you can get information if something happens to them. The hospitals you know, anything at the school that could happen, they will only talk to your child anymore. Once they turn 18, they don't talk to you anymore. They talk to the children. So we need to get that information. You need to have a power of attorney, not just for health reasons, but financial reasons. Who do you want making your, and it does not have to be the same person. Um, we didn't talk about that too much, but you could pick one for your A medical power of attorney and one for your financial power of attorney. So whichever you want, or you can have one person for both. But I think it's really, really important to please get that paperwork. Call Tom Delpup. He's a wonderful man. He can do it for you. He can do a lot more as far as preparation on wills and trusts um, and definitely the financial side, which is a very big part of what we do every day. So I just wanted to make sure that I kind of reiterated that um, the other topic I really wanted to talk about is respite. And some people don't know what what respite means, but I want to share with you because when we're talking to our loved ones and we're talking about moving into a community, it's a very overwhelming conversation. Many people don't want to leave their homes. And to be honest, I don't blame you. I don't blame you one One minute. So there's a couple things you can do short-term just to give someone a break. So this is a story. I have a, I have a husband and wife. They've been married 60 years. They're in their 80s. They've lived together for this long. And right now, the wife is exhausted, completely exhausted, because all she's doing is getting her husband dressed every morning, putting his shoes on, giving him um, feeding him, giving him a shower, taking him to the bathroom. She's doing everything for him she's exhausted, and she's in her 80s. So I said, hey, how about respite care? And she says, what's that? So respite, listeners, is a short-term program. Very short. Respite is like a recovery system where you can get away on a respite for maybe two weeks. Maybe you move into an independent living or assisted living community for two weeks or 30 days and bring a suitcase bring your toiletries, and you move in and have them take care of you to give your wife at home a break. Because you know, this particular situation with husband and wife in their 80s, she just needs a break. Just even a week would make a difference. I don't know some communities you've got to commit to at least two weeks or 30 days, but just a break so that you're not constantly going in there, you know, taking him into the bathroom, doing all the things that you've got to do. She's exhausted. So it changed her world having a respite recovery break. So you can do respite in a couple different ways. The first one that I think is also the probably the most common is in a community. And I'm gonna give you some of the reasons that you would want to do respite. Number one, you need a break from the current situation if it's a husband and wife together and you're just exhausted number 2 would be let's say your children are helping you and they're going on vacation so what are you going to do when something happens to mom and dad you want to have somebody you can call so you can go into a respite community for a couple weeks while your loved ones are on vacation and they'll know that they're that you're safe it's like moving into a bed and breakfast you know they have three meals a day they've they make your bed in the morning. I mean, there's coffee and beverages. It's fun. And there's lots of activities. So there's something really good to say about that. Um, another reason might be if you are if you want to try a place. So let's say you're thinking of moving in somewhere and you're like, eh, I'm not sure that's the right place for me. Try a respite. Ask them, do you offer a respite? Respite is a great option just for a few Short weeks, if you can do it now, is it free? No, you do have to pay for respite, but I also feel like it's worth it because why sign a year lease and move into a community when you can go there for a month and try it out first? Now, I'm going to tell you this too because it's important. You can't really make a decision that quickly, whether you love it or hate it. Like, you really need to get in a routine and spend some time in a community before you make a decision, but it is a great option respite is a great option. And the last component of respite, and this is just an idea, what about home care? What about bringing respite right into your house? So you could have um, a home care company that comes in to your home regularly to help you do stuff, even if it's preparing meals, if it's grocery shopping, if it's doing a little bit of housekeeping. There are so many companies, and this is something you can call Next Steps for Seniors for, that are out there that will help you in your home. Now, I do advocate for a community, and I'll tell you why because of the socialization. Instead of you and one caregiver sitting in your house, you have a whole team of people. You've sitting at dinner, you have Four or five different people that you can have conversations with at your table, not including the entire dining room that has hundreds of people. You've got options. You look at a menu and you're like, hmm, what do I want to eat today? I don't know about you, but me going home, doing the meal prep, doing the grocery shopping, doing the cooking, it's a lot of work. I would much rather have a seat at a table pull out a menu and decide what I want to eat. So it's fun going to a respite. So you can do it in community. You can do it at home. You can do respite in, um, like if it's a hospice situation and you and this has happened too, I had a, a gentleman call me. He said, I just, I need to live in my home forever. And I just don't want my wife to, to pass away in my house. So she went to a respite hospice passed away there so that every time he walks in the door of his house, he's not picturing his wife passing in the house. So these are all different ways that you can utilize respite. So in summation, this words of wisdom was about first power of attorney and durable power of attorney. Super important to get that and to get it correctly done. Tom Delpup did an excellent job today, and I hope that you do call him for those documents and more because, honestly, the, the combination of what he offers with financial and legal is priceless. And then the second part of our program, we talked about respite, which I do think is an important option and very good for our listeners to try something. And this can all be done very easily. You know my number, definitely call me. Our team is amazing here. And we're here to help you. You're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400